everybody welcome to the first episode of the do it for them podcast uh my name is austin and my name is nick and uh we are here um to talk about some stuff and some things can you tell us a little bit about the point of this podcast nick so we are here to discuss and explore um our own trauma and trauma typically experienced by those who are uh, queer, millennials, uh, Gen Z, um, and our own healing process and um, things that experts have shown to help us and others. I think specifically in exploring kind of um, media that is a little more prolific now than it was when we were growing up. I think Part of that queer experience, especially, you know, being born in the, the 90s, early 2000s was, you know, part, parts of you had to grow up really fast um, as you learned, you know, the parts of yourself weren't super safe to express with caretakers or people that were supposed to be supportive. And uh, I think for a lot of us, you know, we turn to um, media that might seem childish or immature. Um, as adults, at least that's my experience. Um, but uh, kind of finding those shows and finding those messages that you really missed when you were a child and trying to be there for that kiddo that's still living inside of you um, and you know, give them the space they need to feel the big feelings and uh, become hopefully a better person as a result. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I feel like I'm already talking too much. Uh, do you want to Tell us a little bit about, you know, what the topic of today's episode is going to be, Nick. So we, today we're going to discuss um, a piece of media, a TV show called Steven Universe, which has really impacted us um, and help us explore, or explore some of uh, our own traumas um, and heal from them. But specifically, we're going to be talking about the episode Specifically, uh, season two, episode six, uh, Sworn to the Sword, um, and the song in that, uh, the song Do It For Him. Yeah, so a little background about the show Steven Universe. A very brief synopsis, if that's possible. <laughs> uh, it does take place on Earth in a city called Beach City. Um, 5,000 years ago, um, a great war took place uh, between a small rebellion of um, aliens that had uh, moved away from their home planet and are now calling Earth their home. Uh, and the war took place between those rebels and uh, people from Homeworld, uh, specifically the Diamond Authority. Um, so the show follows a 13-year-old named Steven as he's being kind of raised and mentored by um, his mother's friends who were rebels and now were um, and uh, they still exist on Earth to protect it from a corruption that happened among the other gems that were left behind. Um, and this story kind of takes place. This episode happens. This episode happens um, partway through at season two, and we see um, one of Stephen's human friends named Connie take up an interest in sword fighting. Um, and she begins taking lessons on sword fighting from one of 
Stephen's mother figures named Pearl. Um, so pearls have kind of a specific um, cast, I guess, in you know home world. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So mm-hmm. the entire cast system between behind the uh, the gyms is very much about what role. So each gym has a different role in the society. Um, with the pearls being pretty much near the bottom, uh, they are servants uh, in itself. Um, 100% designed to serve higher gyms in their system, uh, which is a whole different uh, topic in itself um, in dismantling that. Uh, but Pearl still very much holds some of the ideas of servitude and 100% serving another instead of doing things for herself. Absolutely. So taking, um, before we dive into kind of um, the meaning of the song and its context in the show, before we dive into the meaning of the song and the context in the episode in the show overall, um, I'm going to kind of quickly run through a few of the lyrics from the song. I would encourage you all to kind of uh, take a look at it on your own and listen to it. Um, but some some key lines from the the song include, um, on the battlefield, when everything is chaos and you have nothing but the way you feel, your strategy and a sword, you just think about the life you'll have together after the war, and then you do it for her. That's how you know you can win. You do it for her, that is to say, you'll do it for him. Um, another line that I think um, kind of gets to the heart of what Pearl's talking about here um, is the next section. Deep down, you know you weren't built for fighting, but that doesn't mean you're not prepared to try. What they don't know is your real advantage. When you live for someone, you're prepared to die. Um, so obviously some of this language is really troubling Stephen because his friend is the one that's training and Pearl is training Connie in the way that Pearl kind of operated. Um, so throwing her entire being into protecting the person that she cared about most with complete disregard to her own safety and well-being. So the next line is from Connie's perspective. Deep down, I know that I'm just a human, but I know that I can draw my sword and fight. With my short existence, I can make a difference. I can be there for him. I can be his knight. And this all takes place in the first few minutes of the episode, um, which kind of leads Stephen to talking to some of the other gems about his concerns and uh, about how you know, this This is really harmful, <laughs> really harmful way of thinking. Um, and he has a lot of concern for Pearl and also for like the rhetoric that she's teaching Connie. Which is completely true. I mean, so Connie, obviously human, completely mortal. Um, and there's almost a disconnect too, because as explained early in the series, Pearls are pretty much immortal or very much difficult to kill. So yeah, that rhetoric that she has of give everything you have without any sort of like concern for your own safety and your own mortality is something she doesn't like pearl doesn't feel in any way shape or form yeah so when when a gym's physical body takes enough damage they kind of retreat back into their their gemstone because they can reform because their body is just a projection of light through their gemstone but once their physical body is destroyed 
air quotes, obviously, they just go into a sort of hibernation um, where they just recharge their body <laughs> and come out sometimes with uh, better outfits, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> the same, no worse for wear in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. And I, I think following this song, Stephen kind of goes to talk to some of the other gyms a little bit um, for some context as, you know, why why Pearl <laughs> is acting this way, because I don't think he's ever really seen this side of her before. In the show, kind of up to this point, Pearl is very prim and proper, very put together, very, very much the cautious. But her obsession hasn't come through yet. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, it's definitely coming out of this point. It's definitely startling, even for the like the audience watching the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, you never really see this. I mean, you kind of get glimpses of it, but never like the full on like give everything. Yeah, know, just sheer obsession she has. Without getting too far into the weeds, so Pearl, our Pearl, was assigned, I guess, so to speak, to Stephen's mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and dedicated her entire life existence being to love, love to protecting her, to seeing her goals be um, realized in, in the world despite obstacles or um, an entire like alien armada <laughs> against them. Definitely doesn't help too. At the very beginning of the uh, show, there's very clear the indication that um, the person Pearl was devoted to and Stephen's mother is no longer alive. That's um, correct, yes. Died during childbirth. Um, so to speak. So to speak. <laughs> Might be a story for another episode. <laughs> 100%. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a very specific uh, kind of trauma. I don't know how to categorize exactly right now. <laughs> um, so that's, that's season five. So. <laughs> But Pearl 100% is 1,000 behind just getting this devotion and trying to pass along to Connie because Pearl still kind of sees Stephen as his mom, uh, which is not true, obviously. He's an individual in himself, but she's still kind of got that obsession for protecting Rose Quartz, which was Stephen's mom, um, and kind of pushing that same sort of trying to push on that obsession to Connie to protect Stephen. Um, but the variables are different. I mean, Connie's not immortal. She can't. Um, yeah. And Stephen didn't ask for that in the first place. Yeah, and Stephen's not his mother. No. And Stephen is a very different person, um, I think, than uh, the person that Pearl was protecting in her time. Yeah. I, I guess this kind of brings up... Um, kind of maybe the the deeper topic of of the episode today which is kind of that transgenerational trauma or intergenerational trauma so we see in this episode pearl kind of i guess uh not forcing but encouraging a set of behaviors uh based on you know negative experiences she had so you know kind of perpetuating the cycle that pearl existed in and still exists into to some some degree uh, to a new generation of people. And with Pearl kind of being a mother figure to Stephen, in some regards, whether that's warranted or not, I guess, um, with with her kind of existing as a mother figure, you know, I think there's a, a very direct analogy to what, you know, a lot of us, you know, queer or otherwise experience growing up with parents who experience their own trauma, experience their own things, and maybe 
and then use those experiences of fear and pain and and almost forcing pearl in this case was almost kind of forcing connie to experience the same sort of heightened fear of loss um definitely causing a secondary form of trauma onto connie without connie even realizing that was happening and definitely kind of creating the song same sort of obsession and passion within her sure and i think you know um steven is a really unique character um because he is a 13 year old boy um he is very young but i think kind of like we talked about at the beginning of the episode for a lot of reasons he's had to grow up very fast he's had to honestly by this point in the show taken on a mediation kind of role among his parental figures right so he helps them when they're experiencing difficult feelings i guess i'll say he helps kind of calm them down he helps you know lighten the mood so to speak i guess and his caretakers have very different personalities very different ideals um many of which directly clash frequently and he is 1000 percent the mediator between them he's the emotional regulator which a child should never be yeah but they're also not human they don't have that concept of how human brains develop right and the traumas that can definitely push them into 100 percent it's the different culture different brain functions so they don't understand they also don't have the understanding of how humans work at the beginning of the show. Yeah. And honestly, fairly far into the show, I think yeah. that was a <laughs> kind of an evolving topic as it went on. Yeah. So for me, uh, kind of experiencing that episode for the first time and then rewatching it before we started recording a couple of days ago, I remember like watching the show for the first time and it would just bring me to tears so often. Like it seemed like every other episode. And I didn't really have a real explanation for that. I felt a little silly, I guess, for letting this show, the clearly art style, it's meant for, I'm using big air quotes for meant for, I think yeah. media is meant for everyone. But it's definitely, their targeted demographic is definitely, at first appearance is children, mm-hmm. uh, the same age range as Stephen, you know, early teenage years, late childhood years Mm -hmm. but definitely they take on topics that are much more designed and orientated towards young adults and even regular adults yeah Um, they definitely take on topics that are sometimes difficult for children to actually comprehend which is probably just a good way of getting the foot in the door and helping make sure they don't experience that yeah and you know i think this show in particular is very musical very song heavy very lyrical um so every episode yeah so i think like uh they use music in a really a really interesting and profound way sometimes to express those big feelings and express really complicated topics and emotions um in a way that i think is really easy to digest and i think in like the emotionally and psychologically constipated state i was in whenever we started watching this show it was like wow (laughs) you know um someone's handling it yeah (laughs) right well and it's like why didn't i have that you know and not not to sound selfish or like ungrateful for it no you're right a lot of the media that we consumed as children were there to placate 
and distract us Mm -hmm. so that our parents could have an easier time so they wouldn't have to deal with us instead of (laughs) teaching and actually like educating children and making sure that they're not getting traumatized well in in a show like this too it's whether it's direct or not is very queer coded um yeah you know there's there's a lot of um discussion about relationships and gender and orientation i I think back to like the types of media that used queer coded or queer characters uh, when we were kids and i think of people like ursula who was based literally off a drag queen i think of him from the powerpuff girls i forgot about him i know right (laughs) do it for him so that was that was in a villainous role though exactly there wasn't even a pot so both of them yeah, and I, th- I think that's usually how that came out. Even Jafar, to some degree, I think was... Um, Ooh, there was specific... That's a whole different topic for another day. It, um, most likely, yes. But that was a specific and, and intentional reference of yeah. making him a gay man by the creator, who was also a gay man. Yeah. But when we when we look at queer-coded characters and yeah. queerness in media, I think back when we were kids, it's very, very rarely portrayed well yeah. And very, even more rarely portrayed in a good light. So, like, seeing these really positive representations of really complex characters that um, can express all of the parts of themselves, regardless. Gay people, gay humans, too. I know. <laughs> Who would have thought after all this time? <laughs> you know, I think a really profound part of the episode was the ending. For me, um, I know we watched it fairly recently, and I know you took really good notes. Um, can you kind of uh, <laughs> look furiously around room? Well, if I knew where those notes <laughs> were, okay. this would be a little bit easier. But but can you can you kind of talk a little bit about what happened when yeah, Stephen went to confront? One hundred percent. He um, first off, pretty much any anything Stephen does to de-escalate a situation is through conversation, actually discussing. And communicating ideas, thoughts, and feelings, which is also 100% very nice to have a male protagonist. Their first reaction to anything is conversation, discussion, and exploration of the thoughts and emotions and feelings that one is having instead of jumping in with a sword. Oh my gosh, I'm going to interrupt you there. That's amazing because I think this show does a really good job of flipping a lot of things on its head, but especially like those gender norms Mm -hmm. so steven and this is again getting into the weeds and we'll have an episode about this in the future i'm sure but steven very much as one of the few male characters in the entire show is a support role yeah um so as a shield as has a shield that is his weapon um his powers kind of manifest in force fields in healing and very defensive and healing sort of capabilities yeah exactly where all of the female presenting characters in the show, I won't say all, but it, especially the gems and like the prominent characters are absolutely warriors, like oh, highly trained. Not to say that they aren't supportive. Actually, I don't think there's a single male lead or male character that actually engages actively in combat in an offensive capacity. <sighs> Mayor Lewis is kind of a bitch, but... <laughs> Okay, no, that's that is false. Onion. Okay, Onion. Onion doesn't <laughs> fight; he just destroys. I also don't think Onion is. I think Onion is beyond like the concept of gender. 
I think he, onion exists as like an eldritch beast. <laughs> yeah, it was literally. He's an eldritch horror. He's, he's an eldritch not a person. <laughs> he doesn't think. He doesn't react. He doesn't. He doesn't speak. No. He just destroys. Just destroys. Absolute abject chaos. But anyway, <laughs> getting back to the episode at the end here. So, in the midst of a almost a final for Connie's combat uh, training. Um, in a heavily obscured battlefield um, by fog with multiple combatants that Connie's fighting, Steven just runs in, no capacity to defend himself whatsoever. Because um, he, he's still working on manifesting his powers by this point, too. So not well. Yeah. So it, even even the stuff that he does, he can't access. Oh, no, it's but, but it's, it's usually only to protect someone else, yeah. too. Uh, still largely based off of instinct and instead of actual intentional thought. Um, but manages to find Connie in the battlefield, uh, despite being it just fog everywhere. And just like, I don't want you to do this for me. I did not ask for this. I do not want you to put your life on the line for me. I am here for you. Like, if you're going to, if you are going to protect me, guess what? I'm going to protect you too. And there's nothing you can do to stop me until you stop. And she 100% is like, no, no, you need to stay off the battlefield. That's what I'm here to protect you. Well, who's protecting you, Connie? And Pearl kind of says the same thing whenever she finds Steven on the battlefield. Oh, yeah, 100%. You shouldn't be here. Yeah. Get off the battlefield. We're here. She's here to learn how to protect you. Mm -hmm. Well, who's protecting her? We are here for each other. Yeah. Like the group, the idea that when you fight your battles, you should fight them alone is garbage. <laughs> so Stephen confronted Pearl um, and Connie um, mm-hmm. and Connie and Stephen got back on the same page and became jam buds again. Yeah. And then took on Pearl, which was kind of fantastic. Definitely took her off guard. Uh, 100%. It's uh she's done solo fighting for so long it's apparent that the concept of people working together in tandem fighting to protect each other while also fighting for a common cause um so after a very brief exchange of blows i guess pearl called off training and kind of walked defeatedly off to the the side of the arena which you could tell she realized that something bad happened. She did. She let she let her internal issues kind of bleed out, mm-hmm. which is very much against kind of Pearl's character up to this point, being that calm, cool, collected person. And she's just sad. She's just sad. But I think you could tell in the episode that she fully desired and expected Connie and Steven to walk away at that point. Yeah. But of- instead. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Steven never walks away from someone, honestly, that's uh, that's in pain. Mm-hmm. One of his best personality traits. But he doesn't. Never will. Always uh, yeah. just sat down next to her. We right. talked. Yeah. Again, first option is always conversation. Communication. Communication. And then ask Pearl, you know, is, is this how Rose made you feel? Um, which I think is very complex for a lot of reasons for Pearl. And I don't even think Stephen in that moment, he doesn't. He doesn't have the knowledge of what happened mm-hmm. so long ago to realize the ramification of what he asked mm-hmm. in that moment. But I mean, he's 
13. 14? 13 or 14, yeah. He's a teen. A, yeah. A young, yeah. A middle schooler by our standards. Even though physically he's like 10 years old due yeah. to his weird abilities yeah. and slow aging. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, Pearl, Pearl responded to that question, you know, saying, no, she made me feel like everything. Um, and then realized what she was doing. And I think that's what kind of, that was my do it for them moment, if you will, with Pearl in that episode. Yeah. Um, cause she immediately flipped that switch, recognized what she was doing and the impact that it could or would have on Connie and Stephen and promised to train both of them in tandem as friends as, and not hold back anything. I think recognizing that her own trauma, her own experiences were influencing how she was approaching not only this training situation, but like Steven as a as just, a person, as an individual. Just not he was she wasn't treating him as himself. She was treating him as exactly Rose, her um, obsession, yeah. her love. And not to say Rose was not capable of taking care of herself, because she absolutely mm-hmm. was. Um, more so than well <laughs> in another complex topic but um you know i think the the difference is that largely so far steven has been when when it gets down and dirty when when the action starts steven doesn't have the skills and doesn't have the constitution um to keep up um so i think not only seeing steven as someone that needs to be protected but assuming that steven on some levels is not incompetent, but not capable. He's a kid, and they're thousands of years old. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> At the very least, 6,000 years old. Yeah. Um, minimum. Yeah. So let's talk kind of about the idea of transgenerational trauma or intergenerational trauma. Kind of like we talked about earlier, I think this is a really prime example of that. You know, Pearl letting her experiences and her her adverse experiences kind of influence how she trains connie in this situation and training her in the way definitely pushing that fear and that pain onto another generation that is not experiencing the same circumstances right. environmentally socially. By, yeah by and large you know there there are the corrupted gems um that cause the occasional mischief um but for the most part like there's not an active war going on yeah. between multiple planets. The human populations that we see are largely at peace. Um, the day-to-day struggles that they deal with are very real struggles, but also typically pretty mundane struggles. Yeah. You know, it's a small beach town. But Which, despite to be, that... To be fair, we don't see the issues of their world at large. That's correct. A local. Yeah. It's, it's a hyper-local view, but the, the surrounding... I guess in contrast to like the situations that Pearl's presenting in contrast to the reality of the space that they exist in um, is, is very, very much in line with those really complex uh, post-traumatic stress reactions and things like that. 100%. So being hyper-vigilant, you know, hyper-preparing for kind of the other shoe to drop. And we've gotten hints up to this point that there very much is a larger kind of, conflict existing um in the universe and in the steven universe space especially within the episode and the episode preceding this you know it's it's very chill i guess for lack of a better word yeah and you know pushing that 
really there's been a little bit of struggles a little bit of an indication that there are those those that they were fighting are mm-hmm. still there absolutely that are have they've gotten stronger their technology has improved while the crystal dreams have pretty much stayed stagnant yeah um so they're definitely outclassed at this point mm-hmm. But there haven't been any real active, massive threats, just potential loss of some friends and yeah. the gaining of some friends. Because mm-hmm. I think at that point, no, at that point. Um, yeah, I think most of the human or most of the friends that they've uh, gathered by that point are human. Yeah. Um, we haven't quite gotten to uh, friendly status with some of our up and coming friends. Yeah. <laughs> Except for Lapis. Well, I mean, that's complicated. Yeah, can you uh, can you kind of think of personally, like, experiencing <sighs> that kind of um, stuff with, with parents or grandparents or caretakers? Loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, pretty much all of my uh, upbringing, upbringing uh, was that. So I, despite being a gay man, um, as many people in the Midwest, uh, Midwest U.S. will experience, um, if you are gay, most of the time you probably did not grow up in a, a very friendly household to that. Um, grew up with very specific ideals for certain religious observations and motivations and... Very rigid, like, standard of morality. Very rigid. Um, and unfortunately your mere existence for those that are gay just doesn't fit into that rigid mm-hmm. just just existing doesn't fit into that um so there was constantly the idea of a fear of loss of a potential future if you don't live or exist in a certain state of being at all constant times which often results in sacrificing who you are as a person mm-hmm on a constant moment-to-moment basis which is incredibly painful and incredibly toxic and definitely devalues who people are as people just them existing it's kind of like this weaponized guilt in a lot of ways um yeah because you know i know personally i know my my parents growing up struggled with their own own things Mm -hmm. that guilt is a really big motivator i think offloading that to the next generation instead of and we're not i'm not blaming anyone but i think our generation and the generation behind us are doing a lot of work to kind of take accountability and ownership of Mm -hmm. some of those things and recognize yeah maybe i didn't have maybe my life wasn't fair maybe the things that happened to me were not fair maybe um you know whatever it may be um but taking ownership of that and processing that instead of just perpetuating it processing that and trying to heal from it you know we all have our different paths and journeys uh, in the healing process and there's unfortunately not you know one nicely paved road to get there Um, but doing the work that we need to do to make sure that we don't pass that to the next generation Um, incredibly necessary unfortunately Because the world is already hard enough, you know. I think <laughs> we also grew up in like this generation of once in a lifetime events happening on a seemingly weekly basis. 
Um, and what about the past two years? <laughs> talking about the last like thirty. <laughs> um, but you know, kind of in that, not only like carrying the weight of the hurt that your parents and grandparents had from their generations, but also dumping onto that all of these really awful and atrocious things that were outside of your parents' control, but are still happening. Well, and outside of our control. Yeah. I mean, we grew up in the time of, you know, really serious natural disasters that only happen once in a lifetime or weaponized attacks on people and places. Mm -hmm. um, just a lot of, a lot of stuff that may not be new or unique, but all As happening kind of, and as a society, we just didn't even know how to respond to it. Right. And we were, and the worst part is we were children. We mm -hmm. literally had no experience for how to handle yeah. any trauma. And when, you know, our parental generations, those that are responsible for us, for teaching us, instructing us, guiding us, mm -hmm. don't know how to respond to something except by pushing fear and pain to try and, you know, yeah, perpetuate yeah, and I, you know, even maybe from a less directly trauma, I, when, I, when I think of things like generational trauma too, I remember my great-grandma who like grew up in the Depression and she had all of these stories about all these crazy things that she had to do as a kid. I remember her talking about walking the train tracks and when the coal trucks went by, like gathering the coal that fell off. Wait, what? Yeah, so to like, to literally heat their home and cook oh their gosh. food and like live. They were like scrapping coal from train tracks, you know, um, but the way that kind of manifested in my life and in, you know, my experience, there is this tendency toward when you had resources, we get all that we can. And I, I, I don't want to use the word hoard because I don't know that that's appropriate, but yeah, um, it's a very different. Yeah. But, you know, being prepared for stuff to go south and, you know, we've experienced some recession things in our lifetime, Couple. nothing, yeah, <laughs> nothing quite to the same degree, but I think, you know, uh, so my great grandma had a tendency to hold on to more than she probably needed out of, uh, from that place of fear. And I, I see that I saw that get passed down to my grandparents. I think of my grandma who has an entire basement full of pre-prepared meals and canned foods and mm. this, that, and the other in the off chance, which I'm not saying it's a bad idea to be prepared, but the level of like yeah. it turning into an obsession as we yeah. talked about before. Um, my family went into another extreme of um, being, making sure that you were completely capable as an individual of handling everything because mm -hmm. their response to, you know, great depression was they were already farmers at the time. Sure. Thankfully, largely they didn't have to deal with a lot of certain shortages and like dust bowls or such um they had the means to provide for themselves in a lot of respects and the only themselves yeah there was a lot of making sure your very close-knit family was taken care of on this one one particular mm -hmm. piece of land as a family that they had but it's yeah very isolating yeah in a way very insular well. yeah 100 so the family you take care of you and yours before you worry about anybody else yeah but um, they're still not really enough to go around to yes sure. and you know back uh from the story that i was kind of telling you know i i saw those tendencies get manifested in very different ways with mm -hmm. like my parents where it was just stuff all the stuff just stuff <laughs> whatever 
whatever i just just whatever not that there's inherently wrong with anything wrong with having stuff but uh just keeping things for the sake of keeping them and i i see that in my own life and we've talked about that a lot my tendency to hold on to things out of that fear that i will need it someday and then won't have it or will need or will finally find that perfect craft to use it. I think that's most likely, most usually <laughs> <laughs> what my issue is. Uh, it's better than uh, purchasing everything. Ooh, I overload on specific things. I didn't realize that uh, with hobbies. Yeah. Buying too much yarn for crocheting that I will never do. <laughs> Someday. Well, I don't even crochet. I knit. <laughs> and not even frequently. Yarn. <laughs> And I know in my life, I'm I'm doing a lot to try to learn that I don't probably need all of those things. And uh, I'm not saying that I'm perfect at it all the time, but I think we've made a lot of progress in that area of, of letting go of things that we don't need and, don't, and things that don't serve us anymore. But the important thing is we've done that together. Yeah. You're not. And that's tying back into the episode that yeah. the bigger thing was. You're not just doing it for them. You're doing it together. You're doing it for each other. You're doing it for yourself mm-hmm. and for them. But when, you know, when, when we work on those things for ourselves and for others, I also, and kind of the point of the show, you know, we talked about how um, if I, I, I struggled a lot when we got together with like, I was super into Avatar The Last Airbender, but I felt like that was really embarrassing to say that that was my favorite show. You know, it's a good show. it is a really good show, but it's like, uh, I think, um, and with Steven Universe too, I felt really silly saying that that had such a profound effect on me when in reality, like it was what the 10, 11, 12, 13 year old me needed to experience. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's important to remember that although our brains and bodies grow, you know, there, we don't, we don't leave those pieces of ourselves behind. You know, it's, it's, and when, like, for me, when you don't get to express certain parts of yourself as, as a child, I think there's part of you that really longs for that. And when you find a safe space to do that in. Ravenously just consume it as fast as possible. (laughs) Let's turn on the hose full blast. (laughs) Yeah. Just, you're not alone. You're never alone. Yeah, I think that's the takeaway is, you know, we all we all have people um, in our lives that are safe people. And if you don't, I hope you find them soon. Um, they are there. They do exist. I know I, despite my best efforts, um, I have a very, very supportive group of people that I trust with everything and don't know what I would do without. Uh And um, I hope that if you don't currently have that in your life, that you find it soon. Um, I know it can be hard to trust and let people in, but it is worth it. Provided the right people are around. Provided the right people are around, you know. (laughs) And sometimes you need to. uh... An ass is an ass and a spade is a spade, I guess. (laughs) Sometimes you need to leave that ass behind. It's not selfish to have your own needs no absolutely Um, not and it's not selfish to do what you need to do for yourself i think you can't meet you cannot meet other people's needs until your own needs are met you can't give water out of an empty cup oh absolutely 
You gotta find whatever whatever you need to fill that cup back up. Um, do you have any closing thoughts, Nicholas? No. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I don't do closing thoughts. Kind of thoughts that are cohesive. No. Yeah. We're still very much learning, so um, hopefully my editing persona can turn this into something that's listenable. And as always, do it for yourself. Do it for us. And we'll do it together for them. Cool.